Great job. A lot of singing. I was, um, I saw Miss Jan go over and get a drink of water. I thought, wow, I'd be right there with her. That's a lot of singing. A lot of singing. And all these precious songs about the incarnation of our Lord's birth. And uh, what a thing to be inspired by, the entrance into the world of uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you have your copy of God's Word, we'll turn to Luke chapter 2. And we read that already together, so we won't read it again. But I want you to also stick your finger in Psalms 103. Psalms 103. Psalms 103. Expectations. Expectations. This is not part of the sermon, but I'll say it because it's in my mind to say. I heard it said by a Christian minister one time that expectations can ruin relationships. Expectations can ruin relationships. Maybe think about that for later. When we lived in Arkansas, we were part of a small group of homeschoolers. And in case you guys didn't know it, that's, I, I, didn't, I never went to a, really a, real, a real regular school. I was homeschooled my whole life. And so uh, when I was in 10th grade, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm sick of going to school. She said, well, I'm sick of seeing you in school. <laughs> and so I got a job and uh, quit school when I was in 10th grade. And uh, my kids always give me a hard time about it, too. They're always giving me grief about the things I don't know, the things I don't know. Anyway, in Arkansas, we were part of, we homeschooled our kids too later on, but we were part of a home group of homeschoolers in Arkansas. It was our first experience with the broader homeschool community, which is an, an oddity in my opinion. The lady who was heading it up, she had the best intentions for this homeschool group. She had said that we'll have some field trips together and we'll do some other fun stuff to make the experience more fun. You know, so she announced that we were going to have a horseback riding activity in, over near Texarkana, Texas. Texarkana, Arkansas, and Texas is a, a, border, a border town, and the state line divides the city. And it sounded like a lot of fun to go on this horseback riding trip. So we loaded up the kids, and we drove about 50 miles to the facility. It was called the WJ Running Ranch, a therapeutic equine facility. And uh, they greeted us. They showed us the stables, the tack room. We saw the saddles. We saw we sat on some bleachers and a kid on a horse. They brought him out and he showed us how to, you know, sit on the horse and how you could guide the horse with neck reining and that kind of thing. And, and just showed us all the good stuff. Then by the time he was done, we were all wound up. We want to ride these stupid horses. So we went back inside the building and they played a video for us. And the video basically was telling us about the therapeutic equine stuff. How it worked, that people would come there and they would ride and they would get a lot of help. And then at the end of it, it had a little plug at the end of it. You know, if you'd like to contribute to our foundation to help, our, to help us with our, with our work here, please, you know, send money to this address. And then the guy comes out and he says, thanks for coming. Bye. Well, all during the time we'd been there, my kids are saying, when are we going to ride? When are we going to ride? I'm asking myself, when are we going to ride? When are we going to ride these horses? We went there to ride the horses, but that's not what we got. All we got was a two and a half hour commercial with a 50 mile drive on each side of it. Very frustrated, very disappointed. My expectations were not met. Now here, in the story we read this morning in Luke chapter 2, We have Joseph and Mary who were promised a special child. They were promised a son who would be the king of kings, the appointed savior, the special one come down from heaven. And I wonder what they expected from that. 
I wonder if they expected some sort of miraculous provision for them. If they expected to be borne along on angels' wings with every step with no difficulties. What did they expect? They knew, theologically, scripturally, they knew that the Messiah would begin a a kingdom. That he would set up a glorious kingdom. And they believed that things would be much better when he came into the world. But what happened to them was not especially good. And as things unfolded for them, I wonder if they got frustrated by the way things were going in their life. Now, if they were real people, and of course they were real people, they did get frustrated with the circumstances of their life. In Holy Scripture, we have this great prophet Elijah, a man who did glorious miracles for the glory of God, who bore a message, who prayed and stopped the rain for three and a half years. A a man of like faith and passion like you and I, he prayed and stopped the rain for three years. That's what Scripture says. He prayed, he stopped the rain for three years. But this man, he got frustrated. Frustrated with God's people. And he said to God in 1 Kings chapter 19, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put all your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they want to kill me. (laughs) Upset, frustrated. The great Moses in the Old Testament. He got upset with the people of God because they were complaining all the time. He got so upset that in the book of Numbers, he called them rebels. Rebels. And before this, 40 years earlier, in Exodus chapter 32, he came down from the mountain of God with the Ten Commandments. And he saw the people of Israel dancing naked around the golden calf. And he became so angry that he took the Ten Commandments that God had given him and threw them on the ground. They broke into a bunch of pieces. He was frustrated. Now, Moses and Elijah, they were frustrated with people. Have you been there? Have you been frustrated with the people in your life? The people who are in your circles? The people inside your household sometimes? The people at your workplace? The people in your community? The people in your government? Frustrated with people? And the children of Israel, they were behaving so poorly because they were frustrated With circumstances. Have you been there? You see, the Israelites, they didn't like the limited food supplies. They didn't like making do with very little water in their wilderness journeys. You see, they had left Egypt following God. They had left Egypt in the perfect will of God. When I was a kid, my dad would talk about this a lot. He would talk about finding the perfect will of God for your life. It's kind of like the great pursuit of Christianity. What does God want me to do with my life? And when you find God's will for your life, when you finally decide, okay, God wants me to do this with my life, what do you expect to come from that? What do you expect to come from doing the right thing? Well, you expect it to get better, things to go well. But they don't always go that way. You see, the Israelites, when they left Egypt following God, and I'm assuming that everybody knows, knows this story, I'm just assuming it. That everybody knows the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt for 430-odd years. And then God sent Moses to lead them out of slavery into freedom, through the wilderness, into their own country, into their own land. As they were following God, things got difficult, more difficult, more difficult. And I wonder if Joseph and Mary got a little bit frazzled with their situation as well.
So let's look at their situation. In Luke chapter 2, let me turn back to that section. I might need to refer to it. Luke chapter 2, in the reading we had today, Luke 2, verses 8 to 18. The first thing we need to notice here is that they're doing God's will. Joseph and Mary have both been visited by angels and told what they should do. The angels came and told Mary, you're going to have a baby. The angels came and told Joseph, marry the girl, regardless of how it looks to the community, marry them. So they are both doing God's will. And this is always the right thing to do. If you know what God wants you to do, then you should do it. James 4.17 says this. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If you know what the right thing to do is and you don't do it, that is a sin. It's called a sin of omission. It's something that you're leaving out. When you you know what God's will is, you should do it. Do God's will. This is what Joseph and Mary do. But doing God's will is not always easy. Sometimes it can be surprisingly hard and filled with pain. The father of the modern missionary movement, a man named William Carey, who was a poor man with little education who lived in England, he was a shoe repairer. He was a cobbler. Now, my friends, a shoemaker is a very skilled profession. It's a very skilled job. Being a shoe repairman is, is, takes less skill, less skill. And that's what he did for a living. He was a peddler, a cobbler. He repaired shoes, taught himself Greek, taught himself Hebrew, became burdened for the world. And he wanted to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the great dark land of India. Well, finally, over time, he raised some money with some of his friends. He goes to India as a missionary. And for the first eight years of his ministry in India... He has very little money. He left India to he left Britain to go to India with 150 English pounds. That's all the money he had. And they had to last him at least 2 years. At least 2 years. A very small amount of money for a very big ministry. When he got to India, his partner in ministry was a man named Dr. John Thomas. He was one of the, he was the first person to ever preach in Bengali. In India, it was a a medical doctor. Now, John Thomas liked nice stuff and nice places and good food. And so when he got there, his partner in ministry spends all of his money within the first two months of living there. The money that's supposed to last them for two years at least is gone in two months. And so William Carey, he sends a letter back to the mission board in England. Guess how long it takes a letter to go from India to England in the 18th century? Long time. Months. Maybe a year. Writing letters. So he has to scratch around and try to find a way to make a living. And so he, he does that. And every time he tries to make some money to support his family, it fails, it fails, it fails. And then when he did get a letter from his mission board, who got his letter saying, hey, we ran out of money. Guess what the mission board said? Why are you wasting all the money? You need to be more careful with your money. We're not going to send you any more money because you're just wasting the money we sent you. Learn to do better, then we'll help you out. (laughs) That's the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? And just when you would think things could not get any worse, his children begin to die. His children begin to die. 
Eight years of ministry, he's there. His first eight years are the hardest years of his life. Very little money, children begin to die, and then his wife, Polly, goes insane. Goes insane, literally insane. She dies chained in the basement of their home because she's out of control, crazy, like a wild beast. All the stress and trauma of the life they were living caused her to go nuts. And that's how she died. And here is a man who left England to make a fortune, to make a name for himself. No, he went there to preach the gospel. Serving the Lord sometimes is not that easy. Not that easy. So they're doing God's will. It's not easy. Let's look at three difficulties that they face in Luke chapter 2. Six months before Jesus is born, Caesar issues an order for a census, for a registration. Now, when I was a kid growing up, we always used the, you guys know what we used, the authorized version <laughs> in the churches I grew up in. And so in the authorized version, it says there went, that, there went out a decree that all the world should be taxed, should be taxed. We were at the library book sale in Lawton, Oklahoma, and the, uh, the kids, had, they volunteered down there to help with the book sale every year. And uh, we were talking to a lady, she was uh, from the Methodist church, and she said, you know, why, she said, why did, why did Joseph and Mary, why did they go, uh, why did they leave, why did they have to go to Bethlehem? And, uh, and the kids are like, taxation? She's like, the, the census. <laughs> the kids are like, census, that ain't in the Bible. But uh, <laughs> different translations in their different ways. Caesar said there must be a census taken. It required every man to return to his ancestral home. And this, this took place six months before Jesus is born. Jesus has been conceived, but he's not born. So in the third trimester of Mary's pregnancy, her and Joseph are forced to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem about 90 miles, probably on foot. So instead of being in familiar surroundings... For the last three months of her pregnancy, they're forced to make this trip. Now, the question I have in my mind is, why did Mary have to go on this trip? Why didn't Joseph just go alone? It says every man is required to go there, not every man in his family. Joseph could have moved quicker without her. He could have been there and back before the baby comes. But she goes along. Now, let's think practically about this. Why did she go? Maybe she went because her in-laws didn't like her. Maybe Joseph's mom and dad wasn't too keen on her. Maybe the shadow of this virgin pregnancy caused them to have a bad taste in their mouth about her. Maybe they didn't trust her. Maybe they didn't care for her. Maybe they didn't like her. Maybe the Holy Spirit told Mary, you need to go with Joseph. Or maybe Mary knew that Joseph, Jesus must be born in Bethlehem, so she went along too. But whatever the reason, she went along. She took this trip in a time of life when you don't want to really travel too much. She went despite the discomfort that it caused her. And my friends, there's a lesson in that for us. God help us all to serve him like that. Help us all to show, put our, put our well, to serve him even when it's difficult for us. The second difficulty is when they arrive in Bethlehem, there's no place for them to stay. 
They go from bad to worse. And sometimes as we serve the Lord, we hit rough patches in our life of service for God. We go to church, you know, things are going great. Then we hit a rough, rough patch. Then we think, well, things will get better. Things are got to, they have to improve. But sometimes it doesn't get any better. These two people, are, they take a very long trip. They're walking by foot. They get there. There's no place to stay. They're looking for a place to spend the night, a place to, to, put, to put their feet up, to get a little rest, a little comfort, a little food, a little drink. And while they're looking for a place to stay, boom, labor starts. Labor starts. Now what are we going to do? The contractions set in. The water breaks. Then the pain of bringing a child into the world. Well, Joseph, he does find a, a shelter. It's not much of a place, but it's a place for them to have the baby. And then Mary, she gives birth to this child. She wraps the baby in soft claws, puts him in a manger. Think about that. She gives birth in a primitive situation. After she gives birth unattended, probably, except for her husband, she wraps the baby in claws and lays the baby in a manger. Now, Valerie and I, we've had five children together. Five wonderful children. And each pregnancy took quite a toll on Valerie. When she was done giving birth to those babies, she looked like she had been through the mill. Tough is difficult, giving birth. Pain, fatigue. There's joy, but there's other things too. So here's this girl who has her first baby in a primitive situation. She gives birth to the child. She is fatigued. She washes the baby. Well, you, of course, you don't wash a baby. You don't give a baby its first bath until when? Like, like a week or so later. If it's a boy, that, that sticks with him for his whole life. <laughs> One bath a week. <laughs> she delivers the baby. She rubs him clean. Delivers the placenta, you know, all the things that go along with it. And then she nurses the baby. Then I can see Mary just, boom, falling back on, the, on a straw mat and resting. Fatigued. The third thing, put yourself in her shoes for a second. What's in her mind? What's going on here? As she surveys the situation, she sees the child. She's known the child was real. She could feel him in her belly for weeks and months. As she surveys the scene, they're in a stable, maybe in a cave, a place that nobody would, nobody, nobody wanted, nobody cared for. Sees her child laying in a, in a manger in a little feed trough, lined with straw, no doubt, made as clean as possible. But it's very, very primitive. What's going on here? Is this how the king of kings enters the world? I'd say at that moment that she is probably at a crisis of faith. What is God doing? How are things going to go from here? I don't wonder if you've been at a crisis of faith in your life. Have you been there? You may be there right now in your life. And you may have weak faith. Well, my friends, I want you to know something. that I've been there too. And if you look left or right in this room, you'll also see people who've had crises of faith. They don't know quite what to expect. What's going on here? What is God doing? Expectations have been unmet. And we've become frustrated sometimes. How do we get through these times of crisis? How do we get through these uncertain moments? 
How can we make it to the very next hour or the very next minute? Now in our reading, in verses 8 to 18, I want you to see what God does for Mary and Joseph. What God does for them is he rounds up some assurance for them. He rounds up some people to come and let them know, yes, I am in the midst here. I am working here. Now this time, God does not send angels to Mary and Joseph. They've already had angels, haven't they? Gabriel came to Mary. Gabriel came to Joseph. They got an angelic message. Now, the the problem with angelic messages is it's intangible, and you might later on wonder, was that just my imagination? Was that really real? When I was in my office one time reading my Bible, and I was thinking about resigning my church in Arkansas because the people were like the children of Israel, right? <laughs> Always whining and complaining about stuff. And I was thinking about quitting my job. I was thinking, I'm getting out of this business. I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, and I felt like the Lord told me what I should do. Then later on, I thought, was that really the Lord or was it just me? What what is going on here? So God sends to Joseph and Mary men and boys, flesh and blood people. God sends angels to the shepherds who are watching their sheep by night. This is from the reading. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. And when they hear this angelic announcement, these men, they say, Let's go find this kid. And all these people, these people that Joseph and Mary do not know, these perfect strangers, here she is. She gives birth to the child, lays down for a nap, and a few hours later, a bunch of strange men show up at their door and say, Are you the people with the baby who's from heaven are you the people who are bringing the messiah into the world what do you think that did for her faith when out of the blue perfect strangers just show up and say in the words of levon boatner that's him that's the one here these are flesh and blood people these are not these are not figments of imagination these are real life shepherds with real life faces and beards and smell Real people sent by God to affirm and confirm to them that God is not done with us. We, have, we are not crazy. God is working here. God gives us these assurances. He gives them some tangible assurances. What kind of effect did that have on Joseph and Mary? What kind of effect does it have on you when God all of a sudden reaches down from heaven and puts something in your path, a person, a word in your path, and you know this is from God. This is confirmation. The Bible says in verse 19 of Luke chapter 2 that Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And basically these words mean that Mary is chewing these things over in her mind. She's remembering the details. Of course, Luke has written many years after this has taken place. Luke's account is. And she's remembering these things. She's rolling them over in her mind. Why is she doing that? She's doing it to comfort herself. Because, my friends, when we feel like we are alone and God is nowhere close, at times we have to remember what he's done for us. 
We have to go back through our mind and say, now, Lord, I know you've helped me in the past. I know you've been there. You may be here this morning and say, well, I don't remember God ever doing anything for me like that. I don't remember him ever doing anything for me. Well, let's think about that for a second. It could be you have a bad memory, right? You can't remember everything. It could be that something has happened in your life to affect your memory. I've read stories about people who have faced different kinds of traumas to their, 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 their brains, and they can't remember way back. Maybe they have some kind of therapy, and they have problems. Maybe they're, maybe they're, maybe they're uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no psychologist, but if you can't remember, call upon the Lord and say, Lord, bring these things back to my mind. Help me to remember. Bring it back. I think you probably will. If you're, if you're like somebody in my family, you write things down a lot. Sometimes it's good to, to turn back through the pages of things. Now, I don't know when I, started do, when I started doing this myself, but when I die and the kids are thinking about getting rid of all, all my books, before they just give them away to Goodwill, <laughs> I want them to realize in a lot of those books, in different parts, different times of my life, I've written little things, little prayers, little questions. Lord, why have you done this? In my Bibles, I've done it lots of times. I've, I have one Bible back there in my office that's in a box now, but I, I wrote, man, I was, really, I was really lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut. I was really low. And I wrote down in there, just, just, just a real, just the most heart-wrenching thing, you know, all kinds of questions. And if they ever find it, you know, they'll see. You know, write things down sometimes is good. Write things down. I want you to notice what God does for them. God sends them assurance. Now I want you to, let's think about why God does this. God does this for them and he does it for us because he knows that we need it. Take your Bible, look at Psalms 103. I'm not going to belabor this too long. Psalms 103. Look at verse 8. The Lord knows what we need. He gives us these assurances because he knows that we need it. Listen to verse 8. Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him, His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. 
You see, God knows what we are. He knows we are not machines. He doesn't treat us like machines. He loves us and is compassionate to us. He knows we're like grass, flourishing, full of life and vigor and power. And then we're fading, fading, fading. And His love for us does not change based upon our current health or our beauty or our success or our poverty or our wealth. His love is rooted in our relationship with Him. And that old Christian hymn, Jesus Loves Me. Do you know Jesus Loves Me? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. I am weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. You guys know the song. Do you know the third verse? Probably not. The third verse is this, Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. He loves us. He sees our situations. And in those dark moments, he reaches the eternal finger down and lets us know I'm there. I'm there. I'm here. The psalmist points out that God loves those who fear him. Those people whose hearts are encased in wickedness who do not believe in Jesus. They don't fear God. But those who believe, they fear him. They regard him. They honor him. And to these people who are trusting in him, his love is everlasting and eternal. And because God loves us, when he sees us failing, faltering, burdened, and afraid, he sends to us assurances of his love. I'm going to give you five ways he does that. Number one, he does it via sermons. I can't tell you how many times sermons have been a direct finger from God to say he cares about me and is going to get me through my hard times. Sermons. This is why you should go to church. It's why you should go hear sermons when you can. Sermons. You guys remember cassette tapes? Cassette tapes. My dad used to have this little briefcase full of cassette tapes. And he had a bunch of sermons in there. And he would listen to those over and over again. I used to wonder as a kid, why does he do that? And I find myself now <laughs> doing the same thing just with digital downloads. <laughs> Some sermons I used to listen to over and over again because they, they're really special to me. Sermons. He does it via Scripture. Scripture. And this is why you should be a regular reader of God's Word. Just reading through a little bit of it every single day. And you'll find that in some days when you feel like you're not going to make it, God will make a verse of Scripture live. And it'll stick out to you. It'll be like the Holy Spirit took a highlighter and made it all neon yellow. Bam. This is what I need from God. He does it via songs. Songs minister to us and help us. There will be these surprise expressions of love from unexpected places and people. Have you ever gotten just a note through the mail? A little card thinking of you, love you? A Facebook message? I'm always surprised when I see I got a notification on Facebook Messenger. A little red thing. It's like, who's messaging me on Facebook? You know, and a lot of times it's, it's, <laughs> it's a scam, you know. It's... <laughs> 
somebody wanting some money from me. Sometimes it's from somebody I know, and they say, hey, you've been a blessing to me. I love you. I'm thinking about you. It happens. Surprise expressions of love from unexpected places and people. Or through the sudden ministrations of the Holy Spirit. I would try to describe this to my friends in Oklahoma. I would say, I would call them Holy Ghost experiences. (laughs) And they'd be like, Times when the Holy Spirit seems to let you feel God's love in a way that's not normal. It's especially powerful. You can't, it, it's, it's different. I've been riding down the road in my car and feel like the Holy Spirit was right there with me and I'm just crying like a baby. I can feel God's presence. It's a wonderful thing. It's not all the time, but when it does happen, it's pretty awesome pretty nice it's it's sudden when i to keep me going you see he knows we are just dust he knows our frame he knows we're not machines look through the scriptures and you'll see it over and over that god gives his people assurances of his favor love and concern because he knows that we need it now we began by talking about joseph and mary being on the right path and as they're doing the lord's will They're receiving these comforts from the Holy Spirit, these comforts from God, these assurances. You say, well, what if I'm not on the right path? What if I'm on the wrong path? Well, I want you to know you can get on the right track today. When we drift from the will of God, we get away from God. You know, we get away from Him. And when you're away from God, If you're a Christian, you'll know you need to get back to God. You know you need to get back to God. Satan knows that too. Satan is your enemy. He hates you. And what he will do is he'll come around and he'll whisper in your ear and say, you know, you've gone too far. You're too far away from God. You can't get back to God. You've crossed the line. J. Harold Smith has this famous sermon called God's Three Deadlines. And he says, when a man's crossed this line and this line and this line, once you cross that third line, you're toast. It's a fabulous sermon to listen to, except it's wrong (laughs) in a thousand ways. You can't get too far away. Satan will say, you're too far away. Satan will say, you can never get back. Satan will say, God is sick of you. But God is not sick of you. He saved you knowing you would fail him a million times. He knew you would fail him before he saved you, and he still saved you anyway. My friend Adam Nixon, who lives in Italy, he says, God saved you, and he knew at the beginning you were a waste of space. He loves you. He saved you. He's called you to himself. And Satan will say, God's sick of you. Satan will say, those Christians, they're sick of you too. The church will never let you back in. Just stay where you are because you can't do it anyway. That last part, Satan is right. We can't do it anyway. That's why we have Jesus, a Savior who is with us. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. 
Satan's a liar. He lies and lies and lies. He knows the truth. He knows that God is rich in mercy, abundant in love. He knows. And he also knows God will accept you. He knows that God loves you. And he knows that if you remember that, that you will go back to God. He doesn't want you to go back to God. He opposes it with all his might. If you're not doing God's will with your life now, I want you to know you can start doing it today. You can come back to him now. The road back to fellowship and service for God is shorter than you think. All it takes is confession of your sins and errors to God alone. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoso confesseth his sins shall find mercy, but he that covers his sins shall not prosper. Confession gets you mercy from God. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The road back to fellowship with God is shorter than you think. Shorter than you think. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, Nobody looking around, nobody talking, really. Denise is going to come. We're going to sing this great old song, Just As I Am. And maybe while you're sitting there, the Lord has spoken to your heart in some way. You know, we've got to make time for responding to what the Lord is doing. We've got to make time for it. I mean, we're, we're not really in that big of a hurry. Maybe now where you are, you need to talk to God. Cry out to him. Maybe you've realized that you need him to save you from your sins. Call out to him. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me, cleanse me, wash me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. He will. Maybe here, and you're a Christian, you're, you're way out there in left field. You've gotten far away. Come back to him. Cry out to him. Denise is going to play through just one verse of this, this, of this, and while she's playing, you talk to the Lord if you need to, and then we'll sing together.